All right. Good morning and a happy Father's Day from me to all you dads out there. And I also want to acknowledge all the granddads because as a parent, I have come to realise how awesome grandparents are. So I want to say a special hi to all the granddads as well because you guys rock. Right, a couple more of these just for fun. No, we're not doing that. <laughs> but that was very cool. I have actually been leading up to Father's Day um, through most of this prayer series because as I looked through the Pilgrim Psalms, because that's the series we're in at the moment, Prayer on the Journey, looking at these, the special collection of Psalms in the Old Testament book of Psalms, the Pilgrim Psalms of Psalms 120 to 134, and when I was looking at the Pilgrim Psalms and planning the whole preaching calendar for this year, I came to the Psalm we're looking at today, which is Psalm 128, and as I read it, I went, this has got to be on Father's Day. So I planned the rest of the preaching calendar for the whole year to make sure that as we walk through the Pilgrim Psalms, we hit Psalm 128 on this day. Because Psalm 128 is primarily, not exclusively, the message is going to apply to all of us, but it's especially addressed to dads. So if you are a dad today, this psalm is for you. And if you're not a dad today, it still applies to you anyway. So if you've got a Bible, I'd love you to come with me uh, to Psalm 128. If you've got a paper Bible with you, that's lovely. If you've got a phone app, that is also just as awesome. And I'd like you to come with me and have a look at Psalm 128. Uh, as I said, this is for all of us. So this is for men and women, married and unmarried, parents and not parents. But I think it has special significance for dads, as we will see uh, in a minute. Psalm 128 is uh, one of these pilgrim psalms. It's anonymous, like about half of them, so we don't know who wrote it, who, who authored it. But if you have a look at it there in front of you or scroll up and down if you're using your phone app, you'll notice it falls into two parts. Not quite two halves. There's about uh, one section's about two-thirds, verses one to four, and then verses five to six, uh, the other third kind of finishes it off. And we're going to spend actually most of our time in those first four verses Verses 1 to 4. Verses 1 to 4 are a statement of blessing. It's a statement about someone, in this case a dad, who is blessed by God. So if you've got it there, let's just read these four verses together. Psalm 128 is a, psalm of, a song of ascent. Blessed are all who fear Yahweh, who walk in obedience to him. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Yes, this will be the blessing for the man who fears Yahweh. This is another wisdom psalm. So last week we were in Psalm 127, and I said that's a wisdom psalm as well. And wisdom psalms are songs or psalms in the Bible, especially in the book of Psalms, but they have a lot in common with the Proverbs. And so both Psalm 127 and Psalm 128 are wisdom psalms. And this is a wisdom psalm about God's blessing. You'll notice that word appears. Blessing appears in verse 1, and then in verse 2, and then in verse 4, and then in verse 5. It comes again and again and again. And blessing is one of those Christian words, one of those biblical words that we use often without even being entirely sure what it means. And I love the way that, um, that Pastor James Boyce defined it um, or described it in his book on this particular psalm. He said, blessing 
it's a wonderful word. In spiritual matters, it has to do with God's particular favor to his people. God is generous and great. And because of that, his blessings are generous and great as well. I just like the way that he, he termed that, especially the three words that I put in bold there. Blessing is God's particular favor on his people. And so what this psalm is about is describing God's favor on his people in particular ways. Now what the psalm does is it goes after two things in particular. It goes after who is blessed and how they are blessed. And it forms um, what's called a chiasm. The, the Greek letter key is actually like an X. And so if you put an X on there, it's kind of like the, the, the top and the bottom parts of this go together, they mirror each other, and then the middle pieces go together. So it's kind of like a sandwich. So in this case, verse 1 and verse 4 is the bread of the sandwich, and they're describing who it is that God blesses. And then what's inside the sandwich, it's Father's Day, so it'd probably be a BLT for us dads. What's inside the sandwich, the bacon and lettuce and tomato, is, is the description of how God blesses that person. So let's look at those two pieces separately. Who God blesses and how he blesses. So who God blesses first. Verse 1 and verse 4 is talking about the person that God has blessed. And this person is someone who fears Yahweh, in verse 1. Who walks in obedience to him, also verse 1. Verse 4, who fears Yahweh. So the idea is that the person who is blessed, according to this wisdom psalm, is the person who fears Yahweh. Now, what does that mean? When we use the word fear in English, it can mean anything from being absolutely terrified to being somewhat scared. But that isn't actually the right connotation of the original Hebrew word. It doesn't mean to be terrified of God, as though God is incredibly angry and horrible and we should be, our knees should be knocking when we come towards him. Rather, it has more of the idea of reverence and awe, a, a, a holy recognition of who God is, that God is great, and God is awesome, and God is far above who we can understand and comprehend, and therefore we should be in awe of him. But it's not meant to be a terror because God is a loving and compassionate God. So when we read um, someone who fears Yahweh, we should have this idea of, of reverent awe, an awe of God that results in lives of worship in response to him and obedience to what he has said. That's the idea of fear. And in the wisdom literature of the Bible, which is some of the Psalms and then Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Songs, the idea of fearing Yahweh, of being in awe of who God is, is absolutely core. I've just selected a few Proverbs here that describe this. Proverbs 1, the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The book of Proverbs is a book of wisdom and knowledge about how to live life right. And what Solomon is saying right at the beginning in Proverbs 1, in that first uh, verse at the top there, is that if you want to live life right, it starts with a proper view of God. That's where it begins, a fear, an awe of who God is. Or Proverbs 9, the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Same idea. Or Proverbs 15, wisdom's instruction is to fear Yahweh and humility comes before honor. And so for the, the writers of the Bible, the wisdom parts of the Bible, this is where life starts. It starts with a reverent awe 
of God. And that's how it is in Psalm 128. Psalm 128 is describing someone whose life has been blessed by God. Who is that person? It's someone who fears God. Someone who has a right understanding of who God is, who is in awe of God, and whose life, because of that, results in worship and obedience. That's what the second line of verse 1 is pointing out. That if we fear Yahweh, the first line of verse 1, that will result in a life of obedience to what he has said in the second half of verse 1. Another wisdom psalm actually is Psalm 1, at the very beginning of this whole collection of songs. And Psalm 1 puts it this way, Blessed is the one who doesn't walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. In other words, blessed is the person who doesn't hang out and have their primary relationships with people who don't fear God. Instead, his delight is in the law of Yahweh. And he meditates on it day and night, and that person is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. Psalm 1's doing the same thing, by the way. Verses 1 and 2 is describing who is blessed, and then verse 3 is describing how they are blessed. So what this psalm is doing, just like Psalm 1, is it's describing who is blessed. So this, as we're going to see in just a minute, is, is focused particularly on dads, on fathers, and it is describing the dads who are blessed in life are the dads who fear Yahweh. That's the who. So that's the, the bread of the sandwich. Then we come to the, the bacon and lettuce and tomato in the middle of this sandwich. Verses 2 and 3 give us a description of how these people are blessed. Let me read verses 2 and 3 again. You, now the you is the person who fears Yahweh, you will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. It describes God's blessing on the life of someone who fears him and walks in obedience with him in two particular ways. God blesses the work life and God blesses the home life. It's a pretty amazing psalm when you stop and look at that. In many ways, Psalm 128 is the the other side of the coin from Psalm 127 that we looked at last week. Psalm 127 is this description of a life really without God. Remember, these were the words we looked at last week. Unless Yahweh builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless Yahweh watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. Unless Yahweh toils for us, is the understanding behind verse 2, in vain you will rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. Instead, he grants sleep to those he loves. We saw last week that Psalm 127 is a primarily a description of a without God life. Remember that? With God, without God. Without God, with God. And Psalm 127 was primarily going, without God, work, toil, hard yakka, it's meaningless. It's a waste of time. What Psalm 128 is now doing is bringing us to the with God and saying, with God, Toil and labor and hard work is blessed. That's what verse 2 is saying. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessing and prosperity will come. For the person, particularly for the dad, the man, who walks with God, who fears Yahweh, he says, your work will be blessed. That doesn't mean it won't be hard work at times. Doesn't mean that sometimes the boss won't be an idiot. Sorry, Mark doesn't mean that, that life won't be hard at times, that some days work won't be that exciting. 
But if you fear Yahweh, it says, your work will be blessed. And then in in the next verse, verse 3, it says the same is true uh, for your family life. Your family life will be blessed. And it uses two really rich images here. It likens the wife, your wife, to a vine, and it likens your children to olives. And these were two really rich metaphors in the Old Testament. If you want to describe an abundant life, you would liken something to a fruitful vine or an olive shoot that produces beautiful olives because um, grapes and wine and olive and olive oil were part of an abundant life. And so you find this throughout the Bible. For example, um, Joshua 24, when God's describing how he blessed the people by bringing them into the land, he said, I gave you a land on which you didn't toil and cities that you did not have to build, they were already there. And you live in them and you eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. So God's using in particular here the idea of vineyards and olives to describe a really rich and abundant life in the land does the same in Jeremiah 31, promising a future to the people who have now gone into exile in Babylon. And he says, one day they will come and shout for joy on the heights of Zion. They will rejoice in the bounty of Yahweh, the grain, the new wine, and the olive oil. The young of the flocks and herds will be like a well-watered garden. So vines and grapes and wine and olives and olive oil is a description of a rich and abundant life. And so what uh, the psalmist here, who we don't know who this is, is describing in verse 3 is a rich and joyous family life. Your kids will be like olive shoots that will bring out an abundance of a harvest. Your wife will be like a vine, a fruitful vine. Then it doesn't mean that she's going to have heaps of kids. Well, it might mean that, but it simply means that your marriage will be rich and full. In fact, the Song of Songs uses this imagery of a, of a wife who is like a vine. Look, out, look at these. This is in the Bible, by the way, for those of you who didn't even know this book existed. May your breasts, this is the husband talking to the wife, may your breasts be like clusters of grapes on the vine and the fragrance of your breath like apples in your mouth like the best wine. There's some serious kissing going on right there. And then the next lines are her speaking back. May the wine go straight to my beloved, flowing gently over lips and teeth. I belong to my beloved and his desire is for me. This is a seriously fun marriage, is what it's describing. And it's using the imagery of the vine exactly the way that the psalmist does. So what's going on in the psalm is this description of a blessed life. Who is blessed? The person who fears Yahweh who understands who God is and is in awe of God and who worships God and who walks in obedience to him. How is that kind of person blessed? They're blessed with a joyous and and fruitful work and a wonderful family life. You could summarize the psalm basically this way. God richly blesses the man and the woman who walks faithfully with him. That's the big idea of the psalm. God faithfully blesses the man and woman who walk faithfully with him. Now, I've deliberately kept the language and the focus on the guys because I kind of want to flow out of that. That's the way this particular psalm is working. And for Father's Day, I want this in particular to be an encouragement to those of you, to all of the men, but particularly those of you who are dads. Because God richly blesses the man who walks faithfully with him. But what is true of dads is true of 
all husbands and all men and all women. It's true for all of us, young and old, married and single, uh, men and women, that when we faithfully walk with God, he richly blesses. Now, some of you might be loving this. Some of you might be slightly uncomfortable because this big idea... And in fact, this psalm has the slight aroma of a health and wealth gospel message. Health and wealth gospel basically says, and there are preachers galore who will preach this way, that if you obey God, then he is going to pour blessing into your life and he is going to make you rich and you're never going to have a sick day ever and you're going to drive an amazing Merc down the road and you're going to live in the biggest house on the street and if you just walk faithfully with God, then you've got it. Just for the record, I hate that message. I think it's heresy, and I am not into the health and wealth gospel. But if I'm honest with you, I started to smell a little bit of this in this psalm. And when I worded this big idea this way, trying to be faithful to the message of the psalm, I started to worry about my own theology slightly. And I started to go, this, this does feel a little bit like that, doesn't it? What exactly are we to do with that? And then I found another psalm, actually. It's another wisdom psalm that made me even more nervous. Psalm 112 begins this way. Praise Yahweh. Blessed are those who fear Yahweh, who find great delight in his commands. That's the who again. Now here comes the how. Their children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in their houses and their righteousness endures forever. Oh, golly. I think the elders are going to fire me just after the sermon. Well, they're not, because this is a biblical message here. The problem is when preachers take this message far, far further than what God intended to say in his word. What do we do with these psalms? What do we do with this big idea? God richly blesses the man and woman who walks faithfully with him, because I believe that's truly what the psalm is saying. That's a really good summary of the psalm. So how do we embrace that message and believe that message and live by that message without beginning to dabble in a health and wealth, God's like a big candy machine in the sky, and if you stick enough faith or enough giving or enough whatever it is, then you just get whatever it is you want, a blank check from God. How do we avoid that but still be true to this? And I think one of the keys is to go back to a lesson from last week and understand how wisdom literature works. Last week, I made a very important statement. We ended up talking about it quite a bit at our men's community group on that Monday night. The Proverbs and all wisdom literature are not promises. They are Proverbs. In other words, when we come to wisdom literature, so when you read any of the Proverbs in the Bible, when you read the book of Ecclesiastes, when you read any wisdom psalms like this psalm, You have to remember this key point. These are not promises. These are proverbs. In other words, this is not a guarantee from God that he will do this. This is a statement that this is how life generally works under God. So last week I referenced this proverb as an example. I want to use this again. Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. What this proverb tells us is that if you work hard as a parent, 
and raise your kids to hear the gospel and know that they are sinners, but to understand the immense grace of God and train them up to be men and women of God who live in response to his grace and embrace that and place their lives and their faith in Jesus and then live that out. You train them up that way. Generally, they will follow that course for the rest of their lives. Is that a promise? No, it is not. And so often there have been parents who have been so disheartened, feeling like they have done the very best job they could and worked hard to raise kids who would know and love God, and then their kids have wandered away. And then those parents beat themselves up because, well, this God said that if we train them up, well, then they'll follow Jesus, and our kids aren't following Jesus, so we were obviously not very good parents. I mean, the truth of the matter is every one of us who are parents would freely acknowledge we could probably do a better job than we've done as we look back. I see that hand at the back. But here's the truth. This is not a promise of God. This is a proverb. This is God saying, all other things being equal, this is how life generally works. You raise your kids to know and love and respond to the grace of God in Jesus. And you'll be, you know, generally, the normal thing is, your kids will continue in that. Is that a guarantee? No. Is that a promise? No. But it's generally how life works. Now, that is true of this psalm. God richly blesses the man or woman who walks faithfully with him. Is this a promise of God? If you walk with God, if you walk in obedience, if you fear Yahweh, if you live a life of worship and reverence and awe of God, is God promising then that your work will be wonderful in verse 2 and your wife will be like a vine and your kids will be like beautiful olive shoots. Is that a promise? No. It's a proverb. It's saying all other things being true, you choose to live a life for God. It's going to be worth it. God blesses that kind of obedience and that kind of life. Not as a promise, not as a watertight guarantee. There are always exceptions to wisdom. They're general truths. But generally speaking, this is true. God richly blesses your life if you pursue and follow him. That's how life generally works. See, what this psalm is doing is answering the question, is it worth it? Because following God is hard. Choosing to pursue God is hard. We were having dinner with good friends a few nights ago who were talking about their 20-year-old daughter whose friends, many of whose friends, including some Christian ones, are sleeping with boyfriends and doing all kinds of promiscuous things and they're trying to convince their 20-year-old daughter that it is worth following God's commands and being pure and waiting for the right person who, you know, and marrying that person before engaging in sexual intimacy. And I just looked at them across the table and said, just tell her it's true. It's worth it. It's totally worth obeying God in that area. And they believe that, and she believes that, but they're trying to encourage her to stay true to that. Is it worth faithfully walking with God? Is it worth meditating on his law? Is it worth obeying his commands? Is it worth being a man or woman who fears God? Psalm 128 is saying a resounding yes, it is worth it. Absolutely yes. 
God richly blesses the man or woman who walks faithfully with him. Is that a guarantee? Does that mean everything in life is going to be sweet? Is that a watertight promise that your marriage won't fall apart, that your kids will be incredible and change the world, that you'll have the best workplace? No, it's not a watertight promise. But it's a general truth that is generally true. It is worth pursuing and following God. But here's the kicker. Is it actually true? Is it true? I have done a lot of reading, in particular on the area of marriage. And every uh, year I get the, the chance to join Andy and Nikki Bray at their weekend to remember. And I teach one of the sessions in their, their weekend marriage conference. I just did it in Taupo a couple of months ago. And at the beginning of my session um, in that weekend conference on marriage, I stand up and talk about the fact that this widely known statistic exists, 50% of all marriages end in divorce. It's a pretty cool way to intro a message at a weekend to remember, to encourage couples who were there to write, we're going to work at our marriage, you know, we're going to beat the odds. But the sad part of that stat is that not only 50% of all marriages end in divorce, but that stat doesn't change for Christian marriages. And you look at that stat for a minute, as I did this week, as I wrestled with the psalm, I go, wait a minute. If the stat for Christian marriages is no different to everyone else's marriages, then are we really that richly blessed? Is it actually worth pursuing God if it makes no difference to whether or not my marriage will be great? So I did some digging. Do you know what I found? That stat is a big fat lie. And I have shared and spread that lie over many years. And it's not true. Read a fascinating book by a sociologist called Brad Wright, Dr. Brad Wright, who has written a book, I think the title is something like Christians are hate-filled hypocrites and other lies you've been told. And he debunks a lot of the stats that are thrown around about Christians. One of those stats is about marriage. The truth of the matter is the divorce rate in America and in, around the rest of the world has never, ever been near 50%. It's a lot less for all marriages. And Christian marriages' divorce rates are far lower than the norm. Picked up another fascinating book this week and read it as well. It's this one here, The Good News About Marriage. It's written by Shanti Felton. Now, I've quoted her before. She's written a couple of books that I've used quite a bit in my sermons called For Women Only, For Men Only. That kind of use surveys and stuff to unpack how men and women generally work and to help especially husbands and wives work each other out a little bit. They're brilliant books. Well, she's released another one a couple of years ago called The Good News About Marriage. What she says in there is the same thing as Dr. Brad Wright. Number one... The divorce rate is not 50% for anyone. It's far lower than that. But actually, the divorce rates for Christians are way lower than everyone else. Listen to this. Thankfully, what we hear isn't true about Christian marriages, not even close. Every study that has ever been done, and she's read them, has found that the rate of divorce among those who regularly attend church is much lower than among those who don't. The bottom line, she says, 
is that weekly church attendance alone lowers the divorce rate significantly, roughly 25 to 50%. That is amazing. The bottom line is that weekly church attendance alone lowers the divorce rate by 25 to 50%. So what she's saying is, if you are a regular churchgoer, then the chances of your marriage ending in divorce are up to half that of those who do not attend church. Now, it's equating, therefore, those who attend church with those who fear Yahweh, to use the words of 128. But that's exactly what she's pointing out. What she's saying is, for those who you would expect to be the ones who obey God and pursue him and meditate on his word and fear him, actually, the stats show that the divorce rates are significantly lower. Not only that, but they took, they've taken surveys of people who, getting them to describe their own marriage. And one of the questions is that they've asked couples is, do you place God at the center of their marriage? Look at this. We found that couples in which both partners agree that God is at the center of our marriage, they are twice as likely to be at the highest level of happiness of marriage compared to those who do not share that type of faith commitment. In a relationship, a marriage, where both husband and wife say God is at the center of our marriage, they are twice as likely as couples who don't share that commitment to say we are very happy in our marriage. So she says this, in a vibrant church, that's us. In a vibrant church with couples who are trying to put God first, more than half of the couples are not just happy, they are at the highest level of marital happiness and enjoyment. They are very happy. The exact stat in her book is that in a typical vibrant church, if both husband and wife say we're putting God at the center of our marriage, 53% of those couples will be very happy and another 40% will be happy. That's 93%. What these stats are showing us is the truth of this big idea. If you walk faithfully with God and your spouse walks faithfully with God and you do your very best to have God at the center of your marriage, you are richly blessed because 93% of you will be happy or very happy in your marriage. Now, is that a promise? No. Because that leaves 7% who are struggling even though they want God to be at the center. Look, the reality is that we have marriages in our own church family that are struggling even though both husband and wife really do want to follow God. It's the reality of a fallen world we live in. Every marriage has got two sinners in it. There are people in our church who have ended up divorcing even though they were married to people who once said we want to put God at the center of our marriage. None of this is guarantees. None of this is promise. But... It is generally true. If you faithfully walk with God, and if you're married, if your spouse is also faithfully walking with God, most of the time, it is true. God is going to richly and abundantly bless that relationship. Sometimes that doesn't happen because we're in a fallen world. And if you are divorced, if you are struggling in marriage, or you've got 
issues of all other kinds in your life, I don't want you to feel beaten up today. Because oftentimes that isn't actually your fault. You can walk faithfully with God and much still happens and life still falls apart. And that's not because you haven't been faithful. It's because we're sinful and we're in a broken world and God still loves. And hear this, he still richly blesses even if one of the areas of our life has not worked out the way we wanted. God still richly blesses in other ways. He richly blesses the man and woman who walk faithfully with him. Very quickly, there's two more verses to this psalm. And all they are is a prayer. Have a look, verses 5 and 6. May Yahweh bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you live to see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. You notice the repetition of the word may three times there. This is a prayer. It's a prayer of blessing. Having said, this is, this is the way God blesses. God blesses the person who walks with me. Then there's this prayer, and it sounds to me like it's the prayer of a priest. I think that's why there's a focus on Zion and Jerusalem here. I think this is an echo of the, the priestly blessing on the people. And as these people are making their way to Jerusalem on a pilgrimage for the festivals, they're singing the song and anticipating the blessing that the priest will pray over them as they leave again. You are blessed by God. May you continue to be blessed by him as you walk with him. That's the idea. Because there's echoes in this prayer for blessing in Psalm 128 of the beautiful blessing that God commanded uh, the priests to give Aaron and then his descendants to pray over God's people. This is how you're to bless the Israelites. May Yahweh bless you and keep you. May Yahweh make his face shine upon you. May Yahweh be gracious to you. May Yahweh turn his face to you. May Yahweh give you his shalom, his peace, his well-being. May Yahweh bless you, his people. And that's what's being echoed here, I think, in Psalm 128. There's the statement of blessing. God richly blesses the man and woman who faithfully walk with him. And then it's this prayer. May you continue to walk with him and may you continue to be blessed. It's a beautiful, beautiful psalm. And I want to pray in a few minutes for you that you would walk with God and that you would know his blessing in every area of life. And in particular, that you dads would know that today. Before we finish, though, I just want to stop and think together about what do we do with a psalm like this? How do we respond to this? And I want to suggest as we finish today four ways that we can approach the psalm and read the psalm. And all four of them are appropriate and right and true. And we can approach the psalm and read the psalm all four of these ways at the same time. But one of these in particular may resonate with you today. The first one, the way that we can approach the psalm, is to read the psalm as an encouragement. And that I think is the primary idea behind this psalm. This psalm is an encouragement to keep walking with God. And if you've grown weary, if sometimes you've stopped and thought, is it really worth the hard work? 
It seems so much easier just to sin and just to throw it all in and just to take it easy and not work so hard. And I think Psalm 128 is saying it is worth it. God richly blesses. I love the way that Paul finishes his great chapter about the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15 with these words. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know your labor for him is not in vain. It is worth it. And I think one of the ways we come to the psalm is to read it as an encouragement. It is worth fearing God and walking in obedience. But I think there's another way we can approach the psalm and read it too. I think we can come to this psalm and read it as a challenge. Because I think this psalm, while encouraging us on one hand, at the same time, I think it pushes us a little bit, doesn't it? Are we walking with God? Am I actually fearing God as much as I should be? Am I walking in obedience, verse 1? Am I, or have I been consistently meditating on his Lord day and night, Psalm 1? And I think we can equally both read this psalm as an encouragement to us and at the same time recognize in this psalm there is a challenge to continue to walk with him. Psalm 119, the longest psalm in the Bible, is focused around the word of God. It begins this way, Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of Yahweh. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do no wrong and follow his ways. And so many times in the Bible, it's calling us up to this high standard that so often we miss. And I think we can read this beautiful psalm that reminds us that God richly blesses those who walk with him. We can read it both as an encouragement and at the same time read it as a challenge. Third way, though, we can also read it, I think, as a reminder. A reminder that we can actually never do this. I think all three of these are true. I think it's an encouragement to us that's worth walking with God. It's a challenge to us to walk with God even more consistently. And yet, it's also, I think, a reminder we can never do it. See, Psalm 128 is actually built on a covenant that God made with the nation of Israel back in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 28. God said to them, If you fully obey Yahweh your God, if you carefully follow all his commands that I give you today, Yahweh will set you high above all the nations of the earth and all of the blessings, these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You'll be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed, the crops of your land and the young of your livestock and the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks and your baskets and your kneading troughs will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and you'll be blessed when you go out. Did you hear the blessing coming through? But the blessing of Deuteronomy 28... Let me go back. It's contingent if you fully obey Yahweh your God, if you carefully obey all his commands, if you obey Yahweh your God, then all of these blessings will come. And I think Psalm 128 is built on this particular promise, this covenant between God and the people of Israel. And the story of the Old Testament is how Israel could never, ever do it. We don't fully obey God. We never consistently obey his laws. And in many ways, 
we never live up to this. They were never blessed this way because they could never do it, and neither can I, and neither can you. That's why you get to the New Testament, and Jesus begins his famous Sermon on the Mount this way. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, they'll inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. What's Jesus saying? You can't do it. But if you're the kind of person who mourns over your sin, who recognizes your poverty before a holy God, that you can never meet the standard, you're the one who's blessed. Because you're the one who finds the answer is in grace. And I think this psalm is all of these things. That it's an encouragement, that it's worth walking with God. At the same time, it's a challenge to walk with God more closely. And at the same time, it's a reminder that actually we really can't walk with God all that well and we need his grace. And then finally, it's an invitation. It is an invitation to come to Jesus and to live in his grace. Because there is one who has fully obeyed the commands of God. There is one who has fulfilled the covenant of Deuteronomy 28, and it's Jesus. And when we come to him, when we acknowledge our sin and failure that we can't do it, and we place our faith in Jesus, we not only benefit from his death on the cross that pays for all of our sins and failures, we benefit from his perfect life, his righteousness. Because it's not only our sins that are taken away, we are credited with his perfection. And we are therefore blessed because he did fully obey everything God had said. And that's why Paul will write in Ephesians 1, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, you are in Christ. And you're now blessed with every blessing in the heavenlies. Because he obeyed where you could. And Paul will go on and say, and you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And when we believed, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the deposit guaranteeing your full inheritance, the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. The moment you trusted in Jesus, he placed his spirit in you, and the spirit in you is the guarantee that one day God is going to abundantly bless you with every blessing in the new heavens and the new earth because he is a God who richly blesses the man and woman who walk faithfully with him. In a minute, I want to pray for you. And I want to slightly stand in the place of the priest and bless God's people. But before I do that, I want to invite you to take a moment with God and pray. What I'd like you to do is I'd like you to take one of these. Whichever way of approaching this psalm um, that you need today. For some of you, 
It may be the encouragement that you need, the reminder it is worth walking with him. And if that's you, I want to invite you to just come in the quietness of your heart and thank God that it's worth it, that he is a God who faithfully blesses. Maybe for you it's the challenge. You look at at your life and feel like, man, I haven't really walked with him. I want to invite you to just pray and bring that to God and ask him for the power of his spirit to help you do better. For some of you it may be this reminder. Maybe you've grown a little bit proud or a little bit cruisy. You just want to come and acknowledge again to him, Lord, I can never, ever walk with you the way I need to. I want to bring that to you in humility. Or maybe for you it's this invitation. Maybe for the first time to trust in Jesus. Or maybe simply to come again and just say thank you. Because I'm in Christ, I'm blessed and will be forever. So whichever way you want to come to this psalm, I want to invite you to just come in the quietness of your heart to God and respond to this psalm, and then I want to pray for you. Abba, thank you that you are a good and faithful God. You're a God, as James Boyce said, who is great and who is glorious, and your blessings and favour on your people is also great and glorious. And thank you for this psalm. It's an encouragement to us that you richly bless the man and the woman who walks faithfully with you. Help us to be encouraged by that today. Help us to also feel the challenge, Lord, to walk with you more consistently, to be in your word more often, to reverently fear you to a much greater degree. God, would you also use this psalm just to remind us again that actually we can never fully live up to it. If this was really just about what we earned, we would be in trouble because we cannot earn blessing from you. It reminds us that we stand in grace before you. And Lord, this psalm reminds us that it's only in Christ that we are truly blessed. And we just take this moment as your children, your sons and daughters, our Father, to say thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he is the one who did fully obey the covenant, that he did live the sinless life, which not only meant he was our sacrifice and our substitute, but it also means he's the one who gifts us his righteousness before you and in Jesus we are fully blessed thank you Lord that you are the God who richly blesses the man and woman who walks faithfully with you now botany life may Yahweh bless you and keep you may Yahweh make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you may Yahweh turn his face upon you 
give you his shalom. Amen.